So yeah, uh, my name's Austin Serafin. I was born in 1977. I've been blind since birth. And I started using computers and programming them when I was seven. I got an Apple IIe. And that was the first computer that a blind person uh, could use. Should I fire up the Apple emulator? Even Apple. <laughs> Should I go get the Apple? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe we could do that later if we have some fun time. You can splice it in. So did that ship with a screen reader? No. Oh, no, no, no. Um, <laughs> it was a whole external thing. There was an argument at the time between uh, Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak about whether or not it should have expansion slots. And Woz won out, and it did. And I'm glad that he won because companies made cards to do all kinds of things. And a company called Street Electronics in California made a card and a custom screen reader, a custom you know piece of software that would ship with it on a disc, a five and a quarter inch disc. And my mom and her friend had to put the card in and... We uh, ran the software and all that, and then, yeah, then it talked, and it was really cool, and that was the first computer that had that. Wow. Really amazing. Do you remember the first thing it read to you? Or? The first thing it read to me? I don't, probably, I remember a lot of demos. I remember there being a bunch of demos on the disc. I remember playing a lot of the games that it came with. The thing that I really remember is not knowing too many commands. I knew catalog to get a list of the files and run to run a program, and I didn't really know any commands, no one really knew much of anything. I mean, everything was so new. And uh, so I typed list because I hoped it would list something. And it listed the source code to the program that was in memory, which was Eliza. <laughs> and that's when I realized that you could program them. And that's when it all kind of clicked. Oh, wow. So what are you doing these days? I'm doing a lot of work in Ruby and Ruby Motion and in Linux, a lot of accessibility consulting. Uh, even getting into consulting and museum spaces and things like that. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, a lot of neat things. Awesome. What are you doing with Linux? Oh, just whatever needs doing. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that's how Linux is. Uh, Some server stuff. I've written a few APIs uh, for people that have needed them. And uh, it's my own things, you know. That's what Linux is. It's whatever needs doing. I do all my own web and email hosting and all that. Cool. So we were at uh, Steel City Ruby together yes. last year in 2014. Yes, 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 we were. And we were paired together, and somebody um, somebody challenged us to make up what their next year looked like, like what do they want to do, and then went backwards from there. And you said you wanted to have an app in the App Store. Oh, so oh how is that, I remember how is that? what you're, you, you, I remember what you're asking me about. You're asking me about that exercise that we did where we all wrote down, you are, I, you know, I totally forgot about that. And you kept that paper. <laughs> and yes, you're absolutely right. When I asked, uh, my goal is to get an app in the app store and that's coming along. Great. Um, it's for a project called Blind Alive. The website is there, but I don't do the website. So don't hold me responsible uh, for the accessibility or lack thereof. It's blindalive.com. And uh, it's a cool website. It's audio-based workouts for the blind or anyone. And it's very interesting to me in writing this app. The biggest hurdles that I'm having right now are actually working with Apple's developer portals, developer systems, the developer portal, you know, for provisioning profiles and all the different things you have to do. I'm trying to use the command line clients if necessary. iTunes Connect is horrible, (laughs) pretty much basically unusable. Uh, Radar is just awful. Black hole. Yeah, you have, that is what it's like. It's just, I can't really even use it. So, you know, they need to fix Radar. They need to fix uh, their, their uh, iTunes Connect. It's interesting to me that Apple really has the user end covered for accessibility, but developer accessibility still is really lacking, and it's kind of shocking to me. And it's just a fascinating 
uh, path to go on, you know, getting that first app in the App Store. And I knew this would happen. I knew there'd be all kinds of things that I would never even foresee. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I knew that going into it. And it's fascinating to me that this is the, something I've had to deal with. For a while, it was really kind of funny and stupid. But for a while, I couldn't do anything at all on the iOS developer portal because there is a new license agreement that I had to accept. And the I agree button was inaccessible. Uh. <laughs> so I couldn't agree to the damn license. And because of that, I couldn't do anything in the iOS developer portal at all until I agreed to the license, just because of that one dumb, stupid little button. And to their credit, they did fix it. I sent it a message and had a dialogue with developer support, and they fixed it. But that's the kind of thing that we're talking about here with accessibility, which is the topic of tonight. Uh, These little things, you know, that, that makes all the difference. So can you make that example concrete, like what was missing on that button? Um, VoiceOver, the screen reader on the Mac, couldn't interact with it as a button. It just showed it as a clickable element, but you couldn't uh, click it. You couldn't do a standard uh, voiceover activation. Hmm. Um, so, so it might have been like a div or something that had JavaScript attached, but if they don't say yeah, it's a link or a button, like, nothing yeah, happens. That's, yeah, you pretty much got it exactly. Hmm. Yep. And if they would have just used a standard button, which would be the best solution, or put in an ARIA tag telling the screen reader it's a link then, or a button or whatever, then it would work. But they didn't initially. And so that's just the kind of thing. I mean, that's the real world. That's exactly the kind of thing that we're talking about here. And so much of it's easy stuff, like just like what we were just talking about. So much of it is so easy. Right. <laughs> that kind of sounds almost like um, like Copybara when you're doing like feature testing. And you say click on element, and sometimes it can't find the element because you're constructing it in a weird way with JavaScript ah, or with, with, yes. with an image or... Yes, 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 yes. Exactly correct. Right. And so in a way that can help accessibility. Right. It's the same way with RubyMotion or with, uh, it's really UI automation uh, technically that use the accessibility label for doing the, um, for pushing buttons when you're testing a view controller. It's the same kind of thing. You have to label your buttons so it can find them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Copybar is doing exactly that, right? It's navigating your website with text. So if Copybar can do it, it's probably, you know, a good step in the right direction towards yes. accessibility. Yes, yes, yes. Another great reason to test. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's one thing. I also do uh, motion accessibility, which is a Ruby motion gem you can find on GitHub. And one of its features I'm excited about is automated iOS accessibility testing. So Ruby motion developers can test their app. So can we back up and uh, can you explain why you chose Ruby motion? Sure. Yeah. Ruby motion. Well, I've been programming, like I said, I've been programming since I was seven. And I guess, you know, really, we should kind of back up a little bit. Because um, I should probably tell you all about the iPhone a little, don't you think? And what makes it so cool for the blind. Sure. Um, The iPhone is a really amazing device because it makes so many other things obsolete. Uh, At first, it might seem counterintuitive that a blind person can use an iPhone. It's just a flat piece of glass. But voiceover will, uh, will work very well. It'll read you... Um, uh, should I hook up my iPhone? It'll read you all kinds of things. Yeah, if oh, you sure. want to give it an example, that'd be yeah. awesome. Yeah, let's do that. Wednesday, January 14th, 8, 27 p.m. Got that? Wednesday, January yeah. 14th, unlock button. Do you hear that? Yep. That's so fast. Quick. <laughs> <laughs> Preferences, general, window, show status, toolbar, privacy, calls, button, messaging, notification, audio slash, audio slash video button, speaker, built-in output, headphone, volume, 75%. Built-in output, airplay, mobile free, airplay, mobile free, mobile free, pop-up button. That was amazing. <laughs> That's pretty fast, the voice. All right, you got it now. Unlock button, open camera button, unlock Wednesday, January 14th, 829. Got it? Yep. Yeah. Did you hear it? Excellent, excellent, excellent. Okay, yes, so Wednesday, this January is 14th. voiceover, unlock and this is my iPhone's lock screen. Wednesday, January 14th, 
Characters. Headings. And, containers. Uh, I can slow it down. Speech rate. 7, 7, 6, 60, 55, 50%. Unlock button. You hear that? Unlock button? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Unlock button. And so voiceover is really easy to use. If you move your finger around the screen. 8.30 p.m. It'll tell you the things that are under your screen. AT&T network. Status bar item. If you move your finger around the screen, it'll tell you the things that are under your finger. Three of three Wi-Fi bars. Austin. Status bar item. There's my uh, status bar, for instance. And you can also PM. swipe to the right with one finger. And Wednesday, go to the January fourteenth. Thing, the next element. Eight thirty swipe PM. Swipe to the left and go to the previous. Wednesday, unlock button. And then to activate an element, you just double tap anywhere on the screen. Messages, messages, edit button. And now we're in my messages. And there are a few other commands you can scroll with three fingers. There's a rotor, and you can swipe up and down for forty-five percent, fifty percent, to do other things. Hints, rates. containers, headings, characters. Read by headings, words, characters, and words, things like that. Edit. So that's basically all you have to know, believe it or not. It's a really simple system. Character, uh, headings, containers, hints, and speed rate. So 50, 60, 60, 70, 75%, 80%. Did you start it with that speed, or did you kind of build up to it talking that fast? Um, when I got my iPhone, I was already used to listening to things quickly. Okay. Here's my Mac. It's the same voice now. So, so before you had an iPhone, like what? Pop up. We're still hearing your iPhone. <laughs> no, that was actually my Mac. Oh, okay. So what were you going to say? Uh, before you had the iPhone, like what other things you yeah, and that's used the, that had voiceover? Right. Oh, that had voiceover? Voiceover is just for Apple products. Okay. So I, the iPhone was the first thing that had voiceover. But that's the thing about the iPhone is that there are so many other things that the iPhone replaced that I had to use before, like a note-taking device, um, you know, something to just do the basic note-taking functions that you need to organize your life <laughs> and, uh, you know, be able to live independently. Uh, sighted people would use pen and paper at the time and, you know, notebooks and little computers, I guess, if they were really fancy. But back in the day, people would carry around little notebooks and things. So the blind voice had to find ways of adapting. And so the iPhone replaces that whole class of device and lots of little things. When I first got my iPhone, the thing that sold me was that it could read me a stock chart. But then when I took it home, I started thinking about all these different devices that I never felt like buying because I didn't feel like spending the money. Like a color identifier costs $200. It's a little device that will tell you the color of things. And I typed in color identifier and it came right up in the app store for $2. And I ran it and it was totally awesome. And I thought, this is it. This is the next big thing. It kept saying black. And I couldn't figure out why. And then I realized it was like 2 o'clock in the morning and all my lights were off and it was dark. <laughs> and so when I had that moment, that was like, this is when I know that the iPhone is awesome. And so getting back to why I use RubyMotion, this is all, that was all a long tangent to get back to this. My first thought was the iPhone is awesome. This will change life for the blind. My second thought was I have to figure out how to program this thing. So I figured it would be easy. And, you know, I figured, well, you know, I've been programming for a long time. I'm a quick learner. You know, I'm, I can learn things quickly. I can pick things up, whatever. But it was really quite a challenge because, for one thing, Xcode is just awful. <laughs> if sighted people think it's confusing, you should try closing your eyes and using it with voiceover. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I never liked IDEs anyway. I mean, that's the thing. Like, all my life I've been at the command line. So I'd far rather use the command line. I don't want to bumble around in some IDE. I just want to type a command. It's fine. I already have a good editor. You know, people ask how I program, and I say I use the visual editor just like everyone. I have a perfectly good editor I can use already. I don't need anything else. And so that was one thing. And C languages, I've just never... I don't know. It's like being in a bad relationship. It's just, I've never, nothing I've done in C has really worked. Mm. It's just never worked. I don't know. It's just always been that way. Um, So that kind of put me off, but I figured, whatever, I'll still learn it. I can still do Objective-C if I have to, but Xcode was really getting in my way. And so many things are done 
uh, through Interface Builder. And Xcode itself is a very visual IDE, very mouse-based. So the whole process is very visual for developers. And I really needed something different. And on Twitter, I made a random remark that I wished I could write apps in Ruby. And someone asked if I'd heard of Ruby Motion. And that's exactly what it is. And it lets you write apps in Ruby. And um, you can it uses the standard Ruby tools like Rake and uh, Bundler and all that. And it's all the command line. So you can just do everything right from the Mac OS terminal. So for me, it's perfect. And version 3 now supports iOS, Mac OS, and Android, which is totally have you done an Android app yet? Not yet. I just got my Nexus 7 out and am trying to update it. I don't know. Droid is difficult. <laughs> Are they still not up to the accessibility of iOS? It's still, yeah, it's still not quite there. No, no. <laughs> How come Android hasn't caught up? I think, was it at Steel City where they talked about Conway's Law? It was one of the conferences someone talked about that. Conway's Law is that software resembles the team that created it. And I think because Google is a very fragmented company, their software reflects that fragmentation. Mm. And so accessibility is just kind of another thing that's going on. And Apple, it's baked right in, you know. In Apple, they have their accessibility department, and, and that's that. And we don't know if the Apple Watch will be accessible, but I think it will be because the accessibility methods are available. I wrote an article about that, so you can check that out on my blog. Where do we find that? Well, austinseraphin.com is my main site. Yeah. And just blog.austinseraphin.com will get you there. Um, yeah, so right now Apple's the leader in the mobile space. Uh, in the desktop space, Windows is the leader, but Mac is a contender. They're definitely respectable. But Apple's got to Apple's gotta get it together. And not just with accessibility, but with everything, you know? I think the yearly release schedule is killing them. I think they have to get back to releasing things when they're ready. Yeah, I've been on the verge of paving my Mac and installing Yosemite from scratch, but that's exactly daunting. what I was about to do. That is totally <laughs> what I'm getting ready to do. I, that is so weird that you would say that. That is exactly. I have to. VoiceOver is behaving terribly. It's sputtering. It's unusable. It's horrible. <laughs> and I'm. That is so weird that you would say that. I am totally getting. I ha, I don't know what else to do. <laughs> I've tried everything else. I've gone through. I've done endless web searching. I've gone through drivers. I've looked at. Drivers and kernel extensions and processes, everything. And it's still behaving terribly. I think I've got to do it too. <laughs> and it's so weird that you would say that. It's the nuclear option, but... Oh, God. And I have stuff backed up wise. It's going to be horrible. So what's the day-to-day of an accessibility consultant? Like, What do you work on? Oh, well, right now I've been doing a lot of freelance work. I'm, I've sent my resume into a few places, but uh, I've, I'm heavy... Doing uh doing what I can um, uh you know it's it's whatever's uh, whatever I'm doing working on the app or doing whatever consulting thing uh, that I have going currently I just got a job with Soylent which I think is really cool oh, cool yeah yeah Soylent the it's the, the liquid food right yes. yeah it's an open source meal replacement and their website has accessibility and I said hey guys if you want to make food accessible to all. Make have you tried Soylent? Oh, yeah, yeah. Do you like it? Yeah. Hmm. Is it oh. your, do you like drink it every day or? Yeah, yeah, I have been drinking it every day. Just integrating it with other meals. Hmm. Um, so, you know, whatever, whatever is going on, whatever's, you know, that's how it is in your freelancing, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so are people like hiring you to write code? Or yeah, they... people, well, people hire me to evaluate things. Yeah, to evaluate their apps and. Uh, their their websites and things like that. I'm working with a lot of different ones. I just helped Ticket Leap, the local ticketing company. Uh, I'm working with Culture Spots, which is really cool. They're local. It's culturespot.com is for designing audio tours of museums, which is really neat. Um, so I'm sure there's some others that I'm forgetting. 
<laughs> so before the call, I was doing some homework and trying to use like some common websites with a voiceover. Mm -hmm. Do you add anything else to voiceover? Because it seemed like really obnoxious. Like voiceover doesn't know about ARIA, right? It does. The implementation, from what I understand, is a bit non-standard. Is that kind of what you're getting at? Well, I just tried to to look at Facebook, and it was just reading oh, me Facebook's menus for awful. like minutes. Oh, oh, Facebook is terrible. <laughs> no, Facebook's the worst. You have to use the mobile site uh, if you're going to try to deal with Facebook. Even Twitter yeah. seemed pretty bad. Yeah, it is. It's horrible. Um, a lot of times you have to use the mobile site things like that because they're simpler. That's one of those tricks. Uh. Uh, no, Facebook's the worst. Facebook is horrible. I And I'm glad you tried doing it. A lot of people don't. I wish I could convey, like you said, all the clutter and all the crap right. that a screen reader user has to go through just to read something, just to read a post on Facebook. It's horrible. <laughs> and, you know, I come from the old BBS days, and I really miss them. Yeah. They were just, you know, it was just like message five, date whatever, from whatever, subject whatever, and there's the message, and that's it. <laughs> yeah, I miss the old BBS days. <laughs> I'd rather go on a BBS than use Facebook any day. And uh, so, well, what do you mean by add anything to voiceover? I mean, there's... Well, I don't know if there's a better way to navigate, like, with audio oh, well, yeah. roles, like, if you could go to the I mean, you'll learn shortcuts, like, yeah, like, navigating by headings and things like that. And you can set sweet spots and web spots and things like that. There are things that you can do to, to help. And you do, you know, get better. And you do get to know certain websites, like, oh, okay, I have to look for, like, the heading level three or something like that. Um, so there are little tricks that you can start using, yeah, but there is still so much clutter. There's no escaping that. I also, I do run the, uh, there's a, there are a few plugins. What's the one? Shellfish. There's one called Shellfish. I think uh, there's one called Adblock. You know, things to cut out all the crap, all the like icons and ads and things. They don't get everything, but, oh, it's just so awful. So many pages have all those horrible things. It's just like, just give me the article. Just give me the thing. I know how to share a link. I don't need a like button that tracks me over the internet, which is what they're doing, by the way. So not technology related, but I also listened to your uh, radio interview where you talked about the uh, almost like echolocation. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Can, that uses can you tell us about that? The technology of the human brain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really neat. It's one of those things that I wish more blind people would know about, which is why I like promoting it. <clears throat> Basically, it's seeing through sound. It's, it utilizes the brain's ability to adapt. The brain uh, has a property that's called neuroplasticity, which means the brain can rewire itself. And in this case, what we're doing is training the brain to use uh, reflected sound instead of reflected light, but you're still activating the visual cortex in the same way. And so what you're doing is making a tongue click, and the echoes from that click bounce off objects like sonar and then your brain interprets them as visual images and it's very much like seeing it's not seeing something in your mind's eye and this is a, a point that's very important when i say that i'm seeing something i don't mean that i'm seeing a picture in my head or something like that it's literally like seeing a mannequin it's like seeing a dark form positioned in 3d space around you it's a very unique sensation and it's given me long-range vision for the first time in my life. Wow. I've been blind since birth. I can see a little bit. I can see, like, really bright lights, you know, things like that, like the sun. <laughs> Very bright, obvious things. Uh, and a little color. But that's just it. My eyes just basically just give me a blur. But echolocation will give me form. 
And yeah. it's a really, really cool thing. How come uh, you said you wish more? Because uh, it just underroots the entire system, man. The whole O&M system, the orientation and mobility system. Uh, it's just, it would, it would just, it would mean a complete redesign from the ground up of the system. What is the system? Which I say is good because the system is broken anyway. Oh, well, O&M stands for Orientation and Mobility. That's just the acronym that's used. Okay. But just like the current system, the current way that, that uh, you're taught. I mean, a blind person's taught to walk with a cane by having a cane that comes up to your breastbone, firstly. And by, it's, it's hard to even describe. I'd have to, they, they make you... It's hard. It's uncomfortable. They make you like bend your arm down and like put your elbow in front of your gut and hold the cane out, you know, so the cane is like straight out and what, you know, like going down an angle, you know, so the tip's touching the ground, but you know, the cane's coming down from your hand that's extended straight out in front of you, but your elbow is kind of touching, like pressing into your gut. And if you try to do that, it's a very unnatural movement. And, uh, but world access for the blind, there's only one group teaching echolocation and these other mobility skills, and it's called world access for the blind. They teach you to have a longer cane that goes up to your chin and to just keep your elbow naturally at your side. And the longer cane is because, uh, when you're a kid, the shorter cane works fine. But when you're an adult, what'll happen is your stride will exceed the arc of your cane. And so you can think of your cane as like your short range vision. And you obviously don't want your stride to exceed the arc of your cane because then it always feels like you're constantly stepping into nothingness, which is how it felt, Mm. which can be a very scary sensation. So you've got your longer cane, which is providing you better short-range vision. And then the echolocation is providing you long-range vision. So the current system doesn't even give you long-range vision. It would be like expecting a sighted person to just have very poor short-range vision and expect them to live like a fully sighted person. You couldn't do it. You'd be like, no, (laughs) it can't be done. And so that's why getting back long-range vision is just so important. And it makes you just do everything differently. Um, Like, for instance, navigating uh, the way you're taught just with a cane, and you can still do this, is to, you know, sense, like, uh, divergences in the path. You know, you might sense, like, where the path turns off or a a doorway or depending on where you're navigating, you know, you'll sense these things. And so you'll count, you know, turns. You'll count, like, two turns to the right or whatever. And that can work, but it's a pretty crude way of doing it. But with echolocation, you actually start building up visual maps of your surroundings just as a sighted person would. So it changes the way that you do everything. And when I went into it, I thought it would just be a mobility aid, but it really is just so much more. It changes everything. How long and does it take you to, to learn? I started, we met on Skype. I met my teacher on Skype, just like we're talking now. And he gave me a few things to start doing. You can start off by making like a shh kind of a sound. And, but you want to work up to the click. And you can start by looking at doing what are called panel exercises. Start with very contrasting things like a plate and a pillow, for instance. You know, things that are totally different. And start hearing the difference in those sounds. And then as you do that, your brain will start adapting. And eventually, you'll start seeing them. And a sighted person will actually have an easier time of it. Or someone who has head sight in the past will have an easier time because your brain already has those connections. Whereas my brain actually had to build up those connections. I actually felt the back of my head, which is the visual center, active. It was really weird for like the first few days. And then, so then what happened is after the panel exercises, he came and I paid for him to come and do a three-day intensive with me. And that's when I really learned it. So he really taught it to me over three days, which is pretty incredible. And that's what got me into it. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's really neat. I mean, they're doing amazing things with technology, too, and retinal implants and all kinds of, uh, of things. 3D printing is amazing. 
um, I'm sure we'll see a lot of amazing things with that. But this is cool because it's something that's available with technology that you already have, you know, your own body and brain, which is what I think makes it exceptionally cool. And I think it, it makes it, in some ways it's cool, in some ways maybe it's not as exciting. I feel like if I were pushing some technology to do it, everyone would be like, oh yeah, yeah, let's put money behind it. But because it's this, it's this kind of far out thing, you know, it seems almost too far out and people are like, I don't know. So there, there are laws for like buildings and stuff to be accessible to people. And yeah. so I think, are there laws for what? like websites or apps um or government well government ones yeah and you know institution receiving government funding okay yeah and those standards are being upgraded by the way which is exciting uh, to the wcag which are uh, the world the international web standards so hopefully we'll start seeing more of an improvement i hope so we need it <laughs> we really need it and you know especially apps and websites and things that do like really essential things like banking and you know, grocery delivery, things like that. There was just a suit uh, successfully against Peapod, the grocery delivery service. Um, you know, these things need to be accessible. It needs to be part of the design. And accessibility isn't just about designing something for the blind or whatever. I think it's about designing a better overall product overall, you know, for everyone. Something that's easier for everyone to use. And that's often how it'll work out. You know, we were complaining about Skype earlier, and I was like, I can't get this Skype thing working. Let me make contact, and you guys were like, oh, we can't get Skype working. <laughs> you know, so it's true for everyone. It's not just because I'm blind and using a screen reader. It just aggravates the problems and amplifies them even more. I mean, you know, we'll just notice them. Right. And, and a lot of times it's not hard. You know, there's some great tools. A great thing that you can start doing, like we were saying, is try navigating a website with a keyboard if you want to know how accessible a website is. It won't give you the whole picture, but it'll at least show you if the controls are even accessible with the keyboard. That's a start. Um, and then there are things like the Wave plugin um, from uh, WebAIM. There's webaim.org has their accessibility plugins and has a lot of great examples of proper and improper code and ways to do things. Um, so, and the W3C, of course, has things. Yeah, I use uh, I use Vimperator to like navigate because I try to use Vim wherever I can. And uh, using kinda, what? Uh, it's a Chrome plugin called Vimperator. Oh, okay. Mm. So you uh, if you start if you press F, every link will have like two letters uh, appended to it, so you can mm. navigate without touching your mouse. Mm. But that's when I notice when something is not a link because it won't get the. Uh, How does that relate to Vim? Uh, it just uses the Vim key bindings, so you can like scroll with JK. Oh. You can oh, use oh, slash oh, oh, to search. Oh, I see what you're saying. Oh, oh, yeah. cool. There's another one called Vimium, I think. Yeah. Oh, Vimperator's for Firefox. Okay. Yeah. I wanted to ask, yeah. Austin, what is, what is your editor of choice? And uh, for programming, currently Vim. Vim? Okay. Yeah. Oh, I thought you were I still Emacs. you're a Emacs person. Well, yeah, I mean, I can use both. I've started getting more into Vim. Mm, good choice. <laughs> well, yeah, because it's what most people seem to be using. It's definitely the more popular one. So, uh, But I can use both. And, Which, uh, did Vim or Emacs, where I mean, did they have I any problems? I think they're different. I mean, I kind of don't even see them as the same in a way. Like, Emacs is so cool because it's a text environment. It's a text-based environment to do everything. And I think that is it's really cool. But it's also really kind of strange. <laughs> um, whereas Vim is just an editor. That's it. It's just accessibility-wise. Yeah. How are they? They're cool. Yeah. Because it's straight text, you know. So that's that's all fine. Good old Unix programs. Yeah. Um, yeah. Vim is is what I use, and Safari on the Mac. I wish Firefox were more accessible for the Mac. It's something that's sadly lagging. I was going to say, it seems like 
to, when you're writing like markup, like to make things more accessible, mm-hmm. it's usually just do the most semantic thing. Yeah. Yes. Like, yeah. 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 Like not not even like 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 of course think about accessibility, but like you don't even have to really think about it. Like I feel like just doing things the right way, like having clean markup, usually yep. results in something that is accessible. Yes, you're exactly correct. You're exact. As the way in web accessibility, it's true in iOS accessibility, you know, mobile accessibility. If you use the standard controls, then yes, your things have a much greater chance of being accessible. For that reason, you know, they've, they've put accessibility into those controls. The screen reader knows how to handle a standard link or button or list or table. It's so awful. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think some of the common things are that web developers get wrong? Right now, just like a lot of fancy things, a lot of modal things, you know, you'll hit a link or something and nothing will appear to happen. And something's actually come up and you have to like scroll around and find it and be like, oh, something did actually happen. There's just no notice that it happened. Oh, so the modal's like outside of the current like dimensions and you don't, the reader doesn't get it? Yeah. If, uh, you know, you'll do something and like part of the screen will change or something like that. Yeah. You have to notify. I mean, there are ways of notifying the screen reader with ARIA that that's happened. But if they don't do that, then it'll just kind of silently happen and you won't know that anything's happened. So what is ARIA? ARIA is a set of tags for telling a screen reader or telling accessible technology how to deal with an element. So you can say this is a link or this is a button or a paragraph or whatever. Cool. And they're used, you know, that's if you can't use your standard. You should use your standard stuff when necessary. And if you can't, if you have to use your custom fancy JavaScript stuff, that's when you fall back on ARIA. What is the standard stuff? What? Oh, HTML just like, or? Yeah, yeah, okay. exactly. Yeah, that's what I mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah, ARIA stands for uh, Accessible Rich Internet Applications. Yes, that's it. Yes, Accessible Rich Internet Applications. Mm-hmm. So outside of um, technology, what are your other interests? Uh, well, the cultural stuff I've talked about, doing the museum things, uh, designing touch tours for the blind. Uh, we are about to launch a couple really exciting things in that realm. Uh, up until recently, I worked with a group at the Penn Museum designing tours for the Egyptian gallery. And that was super cool. You'd get to read hieroglyphs and touch objects older than the pyramids and all kinds of amazing stuff. Wow. And it was something I got into totally by accident. It's just because I helped out with the tech stuff for an event. <laughs> and just at that event, I happened to meet Trish, the woman who heads the head of the program and we kind of took it from there so we're going to start doing things around philly and around this whole metropolis designing uh, tours for the blind and for the disabled and uh, incorporating all the senses not just touch so it's a fascinating other thing to get into and it's interesting to kind of have that cross-pollination between the two fields as well that's kind of something thoughts i've been developing um I like cooking a lot. I've been using a service called Blue Apron that sends you dinners. Oh, yeah, I've tried that. Yeah, right on, right on. And that's really cool. Their stuff's accessible. That's all on the website, you know. So I just pull up the website on my phone and follow along. So that's super cool. What did you get this week to cook? What did I get this week to cook? I got homemade tom yum soup, which I'm looking forward to trying, a uh, squash gratin with cardamom, and a salad with Brussels sprouts and raisins. Yeah, Blue Apron's really cool. I've been really enjoying Blue Apron. I'm a vegetarian. I've been a vegetarian for a long time. So I had to learn to cook, you know, pretty much when I started thinking about moving out. (laughs) (laughs) If I wanted to eat. And so I've always liked cooking. It's a lot like programming. You know, the two are very similar in that you're assembling things. You're assembling a whole from parts. The whole is greater than the parts. And it's dealing with steps. And all the steps 
interlock. All the steps depend on each other. Um, you're following a recipe, which is like following a program. So there's, there's a lot of interesting parallels between programming and cooking. And I enjoy them both. And I'm also really into meditation and yoga and stuff like that as well. So if someone wanted to, if I wanted to make an app that I wanted to be more accessible, like where should I start? What, besides like the ARIA tags or like what? For uh, iOS, you mean? Uh, I guess we can cover both iOS and um, well, cause like, ARIA is the like internet. Web stuff. Yeah, like ARIA is for web stuff. Um, Why don't we do the web stuff first and then... Like I was saying, use standard things. Use good, uh, use good semantics. Write good code. That's really so much of it. Make sure you can get to everything with a keyboard, and you can try using those accessibility plugins. Although, you know, of course, there's also a difference between accessibility and usability. Uh, you know, really, only a, a screen reader user, only a human, can tell you if it's actually usable. Which kind of goes back to Alan Turing, doesn't it? <laughs> By the way, I just saw the imitation game yesterday, so I'm very glad to come on Turing Incomplete. <laughs> I've not seen that yet. Oh, we man. should we yeah. should see it together, Justin. I have not seen it either. Oh, we should all see it. We should That'd all see fun. it. That'd be a blast. Let's do it. It's a great movie. Are you referring to the Turing test? Yeah, I kind of was. Yeah, I was referring to the Turing test. Only a human can really tell you if something makes sense to a human. And the thing, too, with web accessibility is that you really kind of need a matrix of users to do it well in that you need a website will render differently based on what screen reader you're using, what browser you're using, maybe even what version of the operating system you're using. So there's, it's kind of a, it's a little bit fuzzier. You know, things like Aria, things like that. Different screen readers will implement them differently or different versions might. So you get into this whole kind of thing with web accessibility and uh, it gets pretty complicated. With iOS, you're just worrying about voiceover. Mm. So in that way, it's a lot simpler. So we talked about Capybara earlier. Is there like a test suite that we could run against our apps or and give us like an oh, accessibility? Oh, web accessibility. Um, yeah, the Wave. Um, I believe that the Wave uh, you can integrate with with uh, with testing. Yeah, and there are a few others. Um, 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 where are those? I have a resource somewhere with a bunch of them. If you remind me, I can try to find it. Uh, with a few good things for automated. You're talking about doing automated web accessibility testing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll do that up for you. All right, you can give it to us after the show. Yeah, yeah, the webaim.org. I know the wave is a good starting point, and I know that there's another one, and the name's eluding me at the moment. Do you know any other blind programmers? Or Yeah, there are a few on Twitter. There are a few around, yeah. They're not too many, um, but yeah, there are some. Sure. What were you programming in before Ruby? Before Ruby? Before Ruby. Girl. And what made you pick Ruby? I really like it. I really like its uh, design. Uh, it has a very clean syntax. It's a syntax that reads well. I was going to say, like, as you were saying that, I was thinking about like Lisp or... or uh... Oh, yeah, Lisp. Yeah, Lisp is a fun one, yeah. <laughs> or what? Um, yeah, it seems right. like any language with more ceremony would be more like more obnoxious yeah, to listen to in a screen reader, like like, like parentheses, semicolon, parentheses, like bracket, bracket, mm-hmm. bracket. Yeah, it's a lot to keep track of. Scala and Rust both have like a ton of like operator symbols. Oh, I haven't looked at Scala yet. That's a language I haven't looked at. I've started trying to learn Haskell. Oh, nice. How, how are you liking that? It was warping my brain in a really good way. Nice. Yeah, that was that was my uh, still see Ruby uh, 
you know, pledge that's, to learn Haskell for the next year. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and then he left the conference and just wrote Haskell. And <laughs> pretty much. He, he tries to preach Haskell to us pretty much every day. Yeah. You do? I do. You're into Haskell? I not 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 like a ton. Like I've written um so I write a a toy app uh, a URL shortener in like many languages. Yeah, okay, that's cool. And a uh, and Haskell took me the longest cuz I didn't know what I was doing and IO is really hard. Um yeah, and I think Haskell has changed how I write code in other languages more than anything else. And that's a good thing. Yes. I think that's that's a mark of a good language and there's a famous quote to that effect and I forget who said it. But yes, that, that any language that you should learn languages to change the way you program in all other languages. Um, yeah, I should learn more of Haskell. I got up to Monads, and that's where everyone says it gets confusing. Yeah, I've, I've, yeah I still don't know if I know what they are. <laughs> I, I use them sometimes, but... Hmm. Yeah, so, but Haskell is interesting. I like that syntax, I think. Although anything where indentation has significance kind of drives me nuts. <laughs> I could see that. Um, yeah, that kind of tripped me up, which is also why I never got into Python. Huh. Uh, yeah, that's why I like Ruby. So yeah, Ruby has a very clean syntax, you know, very regular. Do you indent your code or no? Do you just keep it? I tend not to, but if people want, I can run it through a format. Okay. But I, I don't if I'm just writing because it gets in my way. Right. <laughs> Do text readers tell you like the difference between two spaces and four spaces for these uh, kind of you languages? You can make them. You can configure it to read you those tabs, yeah. And then you hear tab, tab at the beginning of every. Yeah, it's interesting how uh, listening to a language might change it, might change how you program in it, or what language you prefer. Yeah, Haskell's kind of like beautifully succinct. Like it looks yeah. like really, it's com- it's really compact. Yes. But there's, there are like, Len was saying, there's like no ceremony at all. I mean, there's type signatures, but besides that, it's really just mm-hmm. words I and like spaces. That. Yeah. I really like that. I like that a lot. You can use like parens or the dollar sign operator to change, you know, precedence, but there's not really anything else you can do other than those. Hmm. Great. Yeah. I'll have to get back to learning that. <laughs> So are you guys ready for picks? Yeah, so I think so. How do picks work? Uh, so we like. Yeah, we just talk yep. about anything we like. They don't need to be, you know, uh, technology centric things. Javon typically picks music and something else. <laughs> I'll go first since we're talking about Haskell. Uh, I'm gonna pick PureScript, which is a language that compiles to JavaScript that is very Haskell like. Mm. Um, and I'm I'm enjoying learning it. It it seems really uh, new and rough around the edges. I had to install like four package managers just to get it to run, but it's uh it's pretty nice, and, and the JavaScript that it produces is pretty interesting. Um, also, while I'm at it, I'll also pick uh, six to five, which is an ES six transpiler for JavaScript. Um, so you can use six to five in you know whatever workflow you have right now, or um, whether you're doing front end development or like uh, server side JavaScript development, like with Node. Um, it will give you a lot of features in the next version of JavaScript today. And I wrote a URL shortener in, in JavaScript, like I was talking about earlier, and I rewrote it in ES6, and I, I really liked the um, the benefits that that gave, so much so that I'm considering maybe I don't need to write CoffeeScript anymore. Mm-hmm. Strong words. <laughs> cool, Javon, do you have a pick? Yep, I have three picks. So my first pick is a music pick. It's a DJ, his name is Kaigo, and you can find him on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash Kaigo. I'll put a link. Um, then we were reading a book called Ruby Under a Microscope at work for a book club, and we had some interesting discussions from the first chapter, so I'm going to pick that book. And then there's a running joke that I don't watch any movies. 
Um, but I did watch a movie called Chef, recommended by Justin. And it was really good. It's about food. so And music, kind of. It was good music in that. Yeah, it was, the soundtrack was really good. I, I, yeah. uh, so, yeah, that was my pick. So my pick is this show on Netflix. Uh, it's actually on, I think, Channel 4 in the UK. It's called Black Mirror, and it's basically a modern Twilight Zone that's much darker. Uh, so I'm going to pick it with the caveat that you don't start with Season 1, Episode 1, because, uh, well, it involves a pig. I'm just going to leave it there. But uh, every episode is great. I think Season 1, Episode 3 is probably the best and the best place to start. So they're all like their own self-contained episodes. So, yep, uh, Black Mirror. Austin, do you have a pick? Okay, um, a music pick. I would pick the latest album from the Aphex Twin, which is called Zero, and he's about to release a new album with uh, robotically controlled acoustic instruments or something like that. So definitely be on the lookout for that. And I would also, I also would pick uh, the book Metaprogramming in Ruby. I met the author of that at Eurocamp this summer in Berlin, and I was meaning to read it, and meeting him got me to read it, and it's a great book. And if you're wondering, you know, about how to take your Ruby code to that next level and how things are really working, uh, you know, with the object model and how things are, are working under the hood and how you can take advantage of those things, it's definitely a great book to read once you feel comfortable in Ruby. I would definitely recommend Metaprogramming in Ruby. It's from Pragmatic Programmers. Awesome. Cool. Uh, thanks so much for coming on. Oh, Austin. and of course, also the Imitation Game, the movie that's. <laughs> <laughs> we picked that many times, yes. I think. And I also saw the Hobbit movie, and I liked the final Hobbit movie. I don't know what all the haters are talking about. Yeah. I know it's different, but hey. They're always going to be haters. Yeah, they'll always be haters. Haters going to hate. It's, <laughs> it could have been a lot worse, <laughs> and it's a lot better than a lot of other movies out there. So. <laughs> so, where can people find out more about you? Yeah, so my name is Austin Serafin. That's A-U-S-T-I-N-S-E-R-A-P-H-I-N. My website's austinserafin.com. It's also my Twitter, and I do freelance accessibility consulting. I really specialize in iOS, but uh, you know, let me know if I can help. Awesome. So show notes are at turing.cool slash 35. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at turingcool, and I'll talk to you guys next week. Thanks, Austin. Yeah, you bet. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Bye. Bye.